Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Everybody ready? Yes. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Full Metal Alchemist by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. It's really difficult to say Hiromu Arakawa, by the Hiromu way. Hiromu Arakawa? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hir- I feel like I like, swallow Arakawa. half the word every time I introduce it. <laughs> Just say it really fast, no one will... No one mm-hmm. here. <laughs> Today we're discussing chapters sixty-six and sixty-seven. Yay! Just yes. Happy episode thirty. Mm. That's the episode that we're on now. Oh yay! Yay! God. We did it. Three times ten. That's how many I'm we so did. Far. <laughs> yeah. First we were just heading out from Reservoir trying to restore <laughs> our bodies. Now we're in the middle of the like North Pole in the middle of a cult or whatever. <laughs> government conspiracy theory. That's what's happening in the middle of a government conspiracy. And everyone's a hostage. Is Santa here? <laughs> I think that Olivier Armstrong is Santa. She would definitely judge people. <laughs> she would be people. the most terrifying Santa. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the Santa, robot Santa from... Uh, from she just, uh, like, kicked down your door instead of coming down the chimney. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you've been very naughty. No gifts for you. And then just, like, punches you or whatever. <laughs> Miles, take care of them. <laughs> It's like, if you don't work, you don't deserve to eat. And the little <laughs> children are crying. <laughs> saying, I brought you shovels for Christmas. <laughs> Get outside and start working the land. <laughs> I feel like um, Alex Armstrong would make a better Santa. He'd be very yes. jovial. Yeah. A sparkling, shining Santa. He'd be like, I carved these toys with the whittling skills that were passed down to Armstrong for generations. <laughs> he makes them out of alchemy with his beautiful technique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Although I like the idea of him having whittling skills passed down for generations. <laughs> I wonder if Olivia Armstrong was like, I'm not about any of this. And just like, <laughs> maybe she was like the black sheep of the family. Yeah. Although both of them are in the military. So I'm still very intrigued about their personal relationship. It was mm-hmm. not yet explored again in this chapter. So, you know who was back this time? Yoki. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. He's my favorite. <laughs> I feel like he's more people's favorite than anyone thought would be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like he's my favorite because I like him, but I just, his, mm-hmm. it's all his comeuppance are, are, are great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's become a way more like enjoyable character to watch than like, I think anyone would have expected after yeah. his first mm-hmm. chapter. Yeah. You'd be like, that guy is like the sleaze from the mining town. No, no. He's actually like the butt of all the jokes, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is great, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're going to do our typical uh, summary recap and then discuss as Yay. we do. I have things to say. Have you ever <laughs> thought about doing it in the reverse? <laughs> Just talking about the episode and be like, oh yeah, by the way, the episode this we're the, talking about. This is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then that guy did that thing. Oh my god, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and at the very end you'll be like, you're listening to the yeah. exchange. <laughs> <laughs> Just literally go down to the bottom of my notes and read the lines in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. The bottom of my notes is just like scream face emoji. So <laughs> however you read that. <laughs> Chapter 66 opens in the aftermath of the train fight between Scar and Kimberly. Yoki pulls himself out of the wreckage of the detached and crashed train car and screams to the heavens about the horrible circumstances of his current life situation. <laughs> At least until Scar also emerges from the wreckage, at which point he quickly begs for forgiveness instead. <laughs> Scar merely takes notice of the light approaching along the track and says that they need to run because railway security is on its way. Run? But I haven't done anything wrong, Yoki protests. If if I stay with you, I won't be alive for much longer. I no longer have any reason to travel with you. I'm going to seek the protection of the railway security and... Go ahead, Scar says. <laughs> but if you go running to them now, and they realize that you were traveling with the wanted criminal Scar, I doubt they'll give you a warm welcome. That man Kimberly has an impressive memory. No doubt he remembers your face now. After the serious injury I gave him just now, I'm sure he's eager to repay the suffering tenfold to anyone involved. Of course, if you're lucky, they'll just shoot you on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Yoki wails his despair, then meekly follows when Scar tells him that they're continuing north on foot to meet up with Marco. <laughs> he's definitely gotten everything that he deserved for being an asshole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, I haven't done anything wrong. He's like, yes, you have. Yeah, you have. <laughs> and you're the one who attached yourself like a leech to Scar, so. Yeah. <laughs> This is your comeuppance. 
<clears throat> Back at Briggs, news of Kimberly's presence has reached the ford. Miles and Buccaneer report to General Armstrong that he was severely injured and admitted into a hospital at the base of the mountain, and Central Command has asked them to aid him in any way possible. Armstrong wonders if Kimberly escaped, since the last she heard he was still incarcerated, but Miles explains that he was officially released. Orders from the top. Armstrong frowns. I don't like it. Before they can delve any further into that, an alarm begins to blare, and a nearby soldier manning the communications grid urgently reports that they have an intruder on the lower level. It came from underground! Down on the lower level, Ed, Al, Fallman, and all the workers watch in shock as Sloth emerges from the ground. Ed and Al immediately spot the Ouroboros tattoo and recognize him as a homunculus, and they assume the worst. That father's group has already figured out that they're still trying to find a way to fight against them. But Sloth doesn't attack them, instead just kind of lumbering around sleepily, much to the brother's <laughs> confusion. Fully falling asleep briefly at one point. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I know that feel. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every time Sloth is like, oh, it's too much, I'm like, I understand. <laughs> yeah. This is a character I can truly relate to on many levels. <laughs> <laughs> they ask if he hasn't heard about them from Father, then insist that they're just here to try and get their original bodies back. But Sloth just tilts his head and says, never heard of you. And then lumbers away, mumbling about how he just digs holes, and it's so much work. <laughs> Could it be he really hasn't heard about us from Father or the Fuhrer, the boys wonder? Unfortunately, chatting with the intruder and then whispering to each other has made them look <laughs> kind of suspicious to these somewhat paranoid Briggs soldiers. And from up on a higher level, Buccaneer, newly arrived on the scene, fires a warning shot at Ed's feet. So you're drachma spies after all, he shouts. You got it all wrong, the boys argue back. Then how come you're so friendly with that intruder? We're not friends! <laughs> As they hash this out, Sloth continues his plodding way across the floor. He encounters a large piece of piping, mumbles that it's in his way, then casually throws it across the room, where it nearly lands on Ed now. He looks around, wondering if arriving in this large place means he can stop digging, and doesn't even pause or flinch as a pair of Briggs soldiers open fire on him, the bullets pinging harmlessly off his skin. The soldiers stare in shock at this, and then Sloth manages to wander into the industrial lift on the floor, which begins to carry him up to the research level. Buccaneer quickly hollers for one group of soldiers to check the hole it emerged from to make sure nothing else is coming, and everyone else hurries to the higher level. Up on the research level, the workers there have put up a rough barricade and nervously wield various tools as makeshift weapons while the alarms blare and they wait for the arrival of the intruder. The lift arrives, and Sloth steps out onto the floor curiously. The workers prepare to attack, but a sharp voice calls out, Don't move! And from an upper walkway, Olivier fires a huge rocket launcher directly at Sloth, <laughs> which envelops him in an explosion. <laughs> she turns and orders someone to put out the fire, but before anyone can move, Sloth casually emerges from the smoke, unharmed. <laughs> Impossible, she says, frowning. I never miss. Soldiers from the lower level then reach her and explain that firearms don't seem to damage the creature. She very casually tosses the rocket launcher over her shoulder for another soldier to catch and orders all non-combatants to fall back and also for the alarm to be silenced. We can't let those drachma bastards know about this disturbance. The next course of action, naturally, is tanks. <laughs> yeah, if the rocket launcher doesn't work, then you have to up to a tank. That's how it Obviously. works, right? Yeah. <laughs> naturally. After being assured by the driver that the R&D team has tested them already, Olivier climbs aboard and directs the attack. Fire, she calls out, and the first shot actually staggers Sloth, striking his head and ripping through the side of his face. The soldiers cheer. But not for long, as Sloth is continuing to move forward. That hurt, he complains slowly, as his healing abilities kick in and knit the injury closed. And feeling pain is too much effort. The Briggs troops stare in horror until Olivier snaps, What are you waiting for? Ready the next shot! Fire! They fire shot after shot, but it seems to be having less and less effect on Sloth. He slowly remembers that he's supposed to be digging and begins lumbering away, largely ignoring the huge tank rounds bouncing off his body. What the hell is that thing? The tank driver wonders. Is it a new weapon from Drachma? Sloth easily tears through the makeshift barricade constructed by the workers, and he tosses another large hunk of machinery carelessly behind him, where it heads right for a group of nearby soldiers. Fortunately, Ed and Al have arrived on the floor, and Ed quickly transmutes a stone hand from the ground to rise up and stop the flying debris, saving the men. Ed then runs toward the tank and says, It's no use, General. That thing won't stay dead, no matter how many times you kill it. Buccaneer again demands to know why Ed and Al know so much about this attacker, and Ed stutters, then grits his teeth, looking anxious as he keeps silent. I have no time to waste on fools who won't talk, Olivier says. I need answers, and I need them now. 
Answer any questions you can. And tell the truth. One lie and I'll cut you down. She slams the scabbard of her sword down against the tank for emphasis, making Ed jump, and demands, Are you two spies from Drachma? No, we're not, Ed answers quickly. What? Are you a spy? He's a spy <laughs> from Drachma. <laughs> she then asks if that thing is a spy, and if it knows who Ed and Al are, and Ed answers that he doesn't think so to both. But when she asks, What is that thing? Ed says, I can't answer that. Whose orders is it obeying? I can't answer that. Why can't you answer? She demands. Ed grits his teeth again, looking pained and frustrated. Try to understand, he pleads. The general frowns down at him for a long moment, then asks, Do you two have any desire to help us? I don't want anyone to get killed, Ed says. She asks what the attacker's body is made of, and Ed tells her that he's pretty sure its anatomy is basically human. Hmm, it doesn't die, but it's basically human, Olivier repeats thoughtfully. Then she turns back to her troops. Bring some tank fuel. We're going to douse that thing. Buccaneer turns to obey, but Ed protests that lighting it on fire won't do any good either. Light it on fire? Are you stupid? Olivier says. I know well enough from our previous attack that it can't be killed. We'll just have to find another way to shut it down. She smirks. I'll give it something much worse than fire. Buccaneer then puts his hand on Ed's head and gives him an unnerving grin. <laughs> you ready, State Alchemist? You're going to see how we do things here in Briggs, and you're going to help. Ed hesitates, though he does want to help, worried that the homunculi might have allies among the Briggs troops who could report Ed and Al's involvement. Buccaneer scoffs at that. Trust Major General Armstrong's judge of character. Everyone here is of one heart and mind. You two are the only ones who know anything about that monster. We need your help. A moment ago, you suspected us of being traitors, Ed points out. What makes you so sure you can trust us now? You just saved my comrade's life without a moment's hesitation, Buccaneer says, recalling the transmutation to block the machine and sloth through. That's enough for me. He then draws his gun and holds it to Ed's head. Or if you'd like, I can threaten you into helping us. Would you prefer that? The strong rule. That's the Briggs mantra. <laughs> he just grabs Ed to drag him along, and Ed, still looking anxious, says, Then I can trust you too, right, Mr. Buccaneer? Ed then manages to get unlucky bystander Fallman roped into the scheme, and the group hurries <laughs> off to get the tank fuel. They carry the containers of fuel up some stairs, with Miles telling Buccaneer to head to gate 8. Meanwhile, Olivia is directing the tanks again, ordering them to charge directly at Sloth. Sloth is strong enough to hold back the first tank on its own, but two more add to the push, and they start to back him into another elevator. Olivia orders the driver of the tank she's on to rotate the turret into Sloth, and the impact is enough to send him back those final few feet. It's in, she cries as the homunculus stumbles through the doorway. Miles! Miles, manning the controls, quickly hits the switch for gate 8, and the door closes and sends Sloth on his way. When the doors open again, Sloth wanders out, confused. I'm lost, he says, then looks down the hall to the labeled door of gate 8 and mumbles that it's cold here. Buccaneer suddenly lunges out towards Sloth, managing to use his momentum to knock Sloth into position. Do it now, he calls, and from above and behind, Ed, Al, and Fallman drop the tank fuel over Sloth, soaking him. The group is briefly triumphant, then realize they're not sure how to proceed to step two of this plan, which is pushing Sloth out of the gate. Fortunately, the elevator doors open again, and this time it has a tank inside. Move it, shorty, Olivier growls, and then a series of shots sends Sloth slamming through the gate doors and skidding to a stop just before the railing outside. The general calls for them to fire again, but they're out of ammo, and since it took three tanks to push him last time, they know they don't have a chance with just the one. What do we do? The soldiers lament. We were so close. But Fallman has an idea. He draws his sidearm and fires several shots, though Buccaneer shouts that he's a fool since guns won't work on the monster. But he wasn't aiming for sloth. The icicles accumulated thickly overhead crack from the impact of the bullets and plummet down on the sloth's head, knocking him off balance. Ed and Al take it from there, dashing in to deliver a hard kick to Sloth and knock him over the railing, dropping down onto the frozen ground far below. He struggles to his knees. Cold, he realizes. Need to get inside. But as the wet fuel begins to steam off of him, he realizes he can't move. That was a composite fuel for use in cold climates, Buccaneer explains from up above. Even at this extremely cold temperature, it evaporates. It robbed that thing of its body warmth instantly. On top of that, we've got this blizzard on our side. It's cold enough out there to freeze its brain. With a final complaint of too much effort, Sloth collapses in the snow. Olivier glares down at her fort's intruder contemptuously. Hibernate there until spring, you slug. Back inside, and a little while later, Briggs regroups. Soldiers inspect the tunnel Sloth emerged from, and Olivier considers how she'll have to revise their defense plans after such an unexpected direct attack on their core. She does this while holding on to the end of ropes now tied around Ed and Al. <laughs> when they question this, she points out that it makes it more convincing if they want to claim they were forced into helping. 
Also, know that I have no intention of releasing you until I figure out what that big monster is. Okay, Ed says, resigned. <laughs> Though Fallman, also now literally roped into this, is less cool with the situation. <laughs> Olivier continues to grump about how an enemy getting so far past their defenses is a disgrace. Al asks if it hasn't ever happened before, and Olivier says that it hasn't since she's been in charge. Almost 20 years ago, there was an incident during the middle of winter. A mountain patrol squad was attacked. An unknown female stole food and equipment for a whole month. But then, all of a sudden, the attack stopped. She was believed to be one of Drachma's spies. But Ed and Al, of course, immediately realized that this must have been their teacher. <laughs> Buccaneer takes Fallman and a few other soldiers down into Sloth's tunnel to start to investigate. Meanwhile, another party of soldiers stand watch over Sloth, keeping him doused in the cold-weather fuel, keeping him frozen. But underneath it all, his heart keeps on beating. That's where we end Chapter 66. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Okay. We got some good news for our listeners. We what? got another chapter to go through. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what? We're on to volume 12 of the Full Metal Editions, which has Winnery yes. on the front. <laughs> That's the good news. Although mm-hmm. we had Kimberly before. I mean, I was pretty pleased about that. Yeah. <laughs> chapter 67 opens with Ed waking up in the drunk tank. I mean, in the Briggs <laughs> holding cell. <laughs> it does look like what I imagine an Investrian drunk tank would look like. <laughs> I feel like Ed would definitely be a rowdy drunk. For sure. <laughs> He'd be in there with, like, Xiaomei. Yeah. <laughs> They're in there together because they got in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, we locked up this little boy and this cat, and he's like, I'm not little. <laughs> His hands are bound in wrist stocks to keep them apart, as are Al's, though he's just calmly reading nearby since he doesn't sleep. Mm-hmm. I love Al reading with his hands in the stocks. Just like, mm-hmm. I know, it's really funny. It's like, <laughs> like you're a dangerous, quote-unquote dangerous criminal, but like you're reading. Yeah. <laughs> just chilling. Hmm. I just had a wild thought. Mm-hmm. Their hands are separated so they can't make a circle, but what if they just like clapped hands? Could they make a circle between <laughs> the two of them? <laughs> like patty cake? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess they probably could. Maybe. I, don't know I feel like that would require to... a lot of cooperation. Yeah. <laughs> Their their hands are bound at different widths because they didn't have stocks for Al, so <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they could actually hit, get their hands in the same position. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they could, like, touch fingers or something. Yeah. <laughs> touch toes. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, it wasn't that funny. <laughs> I'm just imagining, like... If Al, uh, Ed never got his hands back, he had to do alchemy by, like, jumping and clicking his heels together. <laughs> Then they'd be like, wow, look at that guy. Look at that dance. They'll call him the dancing alchemist or yeah. something. The tap metal. The tap the tap dancing alchemist. Oops. Is that a sound effect? Yeah, that's what it sounds like when he hits his... <laughs> it's what new automail sounds like. It sounds like glasses hitting each other. The fort's automail engineer we saw earlier seems to be on watch and updates the boys on the situation. Buccaneer's scouting party hasn't come back yet, and Olivier is still monitoring the entry point of the tunnel. Miles, however, is on his way to the hospital. Apparently there's an alchemist named Kimberly being treated there. I hear he's seriously injured from battling Scar on his way here. Ed frowns at this information that both Scar and the Crimson Lotus alchemists are in the north now. Outside, Miles spots some soldiers using horses and chains to drag Sloth into the shade to keep him frozen longer as he prepares to head to the hospital. He gets in a car and tells the driver where he's going and why. Sulf J. Kimberly is hospitalized there. The driver looks back at him in surprise. Huh? So you mean... Yep, Miles answers. The guy who massacred all those Ishvalans. At the hospital, Miles sits beside Kimberly's body. By his body? By his body. <laughs> I'm sure he wishes. <laughs> his at the hospital, techn- Miles sits beside Kimberly's hospital bed and confirms information with him about the confrontation with Scar and the fact that no bodies were found in the train wreckage, meaning he and his companion are most likely still alive and hiding in the area. He complains internally about all the busy work lately. First the search for a black and white cat, and now Scar. <laughs> Both equally important. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the black and white cat is the, the key to yes. to uh, alkahestry or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> then he stands to leave. Understood. Leave Scar to us and focus on your recovery. Not so fast, Kimberly says. This is still my assignment. I'm only warning the soldiers of Briggs as a courtesy. Keep on guarding your fort and don't get in my way. The Shvalin is my prey. Miles frowns, saying nothing for a moment. Then, sorry, pal. We Briggs soldiers aren't about to let a mass murderer roam free on our turf. 
The only law here is survival of the fittest. He pulls off his dark glasses and leans down to glare at Kimberly with his red eyes. Let your guard down for one second and you die. Am I making myself clear? What can you do in your condition, Crimson Lotus? Keep acting tough and I'll cut your lifeline right now. He runs a finger threateningly along Kimberly's IV line, then stands to leave, with one final warning not to make any trouble. Kimberly, who had looked startled during the conversation, laughs quietly to himself. Ishvalans are truly an interesting lot. After Miles leaves, the Crimson Lotus Alchemist gets another visitor, Lieutenant General Raven. Kimberly doesn't seem surprised by this, and as Raven puts on his typical faux-jovial attitude to talk about how worried everyone was to hear about Kimberly's injuries, Kimberly cuts him off. Let's be honest, General. What you're all really worried about are these, he says, holding up the two philosopher's stones in his possession. Raven, looking more serious, smiles and says, Good, continue with your assignment. But my condition, Kimberly begins to protest. But Raven tells him that he's brought along a doctor who can use alchemy to speed his recovery along. And from behind him, we see the gold-toothed doctor who oversaw the creation of Wrath enter the room. The scary doctor! Grin. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's so scary! <laughs> <laughs> Did, is he missing a tooth now? He looks different. Maybe age. Yeah, he. well, he looks like... He does look older. Yeah, he'd, he'd be at least, what, like 30 or 40 years older, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, mysteriously older, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and we have the stones, Raven adds. You'll be good as new in no time. Back at Fort Briggs, the scouting party has returned from Sloth's Tunnel. They report to General Armstrong. It's wide enough for a small army to pass through and seems to go on forever. There was no sign of an end, so they decided to turn back. They start to prepare fresh troops, horses, and supplies for a second scouting trip, and after hearing that no hazards or unstable regions were discovered during the first trip, Armstrong orders for horses for herself and Buccaneer, as well as the Elric brothers. We'll drag them along. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking about how cute the horses look in the little slings when they're (laughs) I know, I was like... (laughs) Oh, they're luring them in a little with a little crane. It's a little horse and a crane. I was definitely thinking that earlier when when we before the train came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a sound effect in the background that's like clop clop clop. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like this is the wrong takeaway from this <laughs> chapter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like um, it's like Arkawa grew up on a farm. I feel like she's like, oh, I get to do horses. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking like, there's not a lot of horses. We haven't seen horses before have we maybe like in Reservoir we, or something we but... saw it in like um i think most prominently when hohenheim got shot up oh yeah, right he was yeah. in a horse like, carriage, horse I, forgot carriage. About that. I think we've seen a couple like here and there just in the background i think that's the yeah. first like prominent appearance of a horse yeah they normally use cars and stuff so mm-hmm. they lower down the horses and the party of olivier buccaneer fallman and the elric start down the tunnel once they're a ways in olivier orders everyone to stop and dismount is there something here ed asks no, but there's no need to worry about being seen or heard here. Buccaneer unties the ropes from Ed, Al, and Fallman, and everyone circles up. Tell me what you two know. I want everything this time, Olivier says. When that big monster appeared and I questioned you about it, you said, try to understand. You knew I had every cause to cut you down for refusing to cooperate. So why did you say that? Your words implied that I was someone who would sympathize with you, someone whom you could trust. To put your life on the line like that, you must be protecting something. Something that you want me to understand. For example, a hostage, perhaps? Ed now looks startled, and Ed, upset and still hesitant, looks down. I don't want any lies, secrecy, or deception, Olivier says. Speak the truth. Ed clenches his fist. Those things that can't be killed. They know my weakness. It's my childhood friend, the automail engineer. He looks up. I need your help. A little while later, Olivier taps her fingers on the hilt of her saber as she takes in all the information the boys have shared, from philosopher stones and homunculi to the Fuhrer and military conspiracies. So it was about hostages, Buccaneer comments, and Olivier says, a childhood friend and Mustang subordinates. We often used to train with soldiers from the Eastern HQ, so I know of Hawkeye and Havoc. It would be a shame to lose them. There must be something we can do. Fullman waits for a second, then pipes up with, um, and Colonel Mustang? Oh, right, Olivia says. I don't give a rat's ass about him. (laughs) Actually, his downfall would please me. It would mean one less rival. (laughs) Fallman and the brothers silently encourage Roy to hang in there. (laughs) Fallman then disgustedly says that it's cowardly to take an innocent girl hostage, but Olivier points out that it's a pretty effective strategy, and she probably would have done the same. 
The real question is, what do we do next? She gestures over her shoulder. This tunnel. As alchemists, what's your opinion of it? Ed and I will consider it for a moment. Then ask Fallman if he has a map of the country and a compass, which of course he does. <laughs> they lay out the map and compass and figure out that the tunnel wasn't dug from Drachma in the north. It's going east to west. Ed further suspects that it forms a circle within a mistress. In alchemy, the circle is both a symbolic and literal conduit for the flow of power. He turns back to the map and uses a pencil to circle Ishval. Next is the equation. Second Lieutenant Fallman, could you list incidents in this country's history that resulted in major bloodshed? Fallman starts to question this, but seems to clue into Ed's idea and begins to list the incidents in question. There's a lot, dating back to the 1500s, and Ed circles each location as Fallman lists them off. The last one catches the boys off guard, though. 1914, the Lior Riot. There were mass casualties. After I exposed the founder of the religion as a fraud, I reported it immediately to Eastern HQ, didn't I? Ed says. Fallman confirms that the Eastern troops mobilized quickly and stopped the riot before it began. Then how did things go so horribly wrong? Al demands. We lost jurisdiction of the site to the Central City troops that came later. The situation only exploded after the Central City troops forced their way in and the Eastern Region troops were dismissed. I heard they just observed the disturbance and did nothing to stop it. Ed is very distressed by this information. Why would they? Damn it! Keep working on that map, Full Metal, Olivier interjects firmly. Taking it out on Fallman won't get us anywhere. I don't have time to watch you two work out your guilt. Ed grits his teeth in frustration, but circles the ore on the map and continues with what he was working on. With all the locations marked, he draws lines to connect them together, forming, as Fallman notes with alarm, a huge transmutation circle just like the one under Lab 5, spanning the entire country. Is this the circle that uses human lives to create the Philosopher's Stone? Buccaneer asks. How many lives would be sacrificed if a stone were to be made using a circle this size? And now don't answer, looking deep in thought. From there, we jump over to Marco and May for a moment. He tells her about how he had guessed the homunculi were using the country to make a huge Philosopher's Stone, only to have Envy laugh and tell him he was close. Then he mentions the time when he told Ed to find the truth within the truth. The truth is that the main reagent for creating a Philosopher's Stone is a living human being, he continues. The truth that lies within is the existence of those who gave the order to create it. And an even deeper truth is the plan to transmute a Philosopher's Stone by utilizing the land of this entire country. But that's not all. There must be something more. May, I need your help. With my knowledge of alchemy and your understanding of alkahestry, we must decipher these research notes. Back in the tunnel, Ed and Al are thinking along the same lines. That's right. There must be something more. What more could there be? Fallman asks. Like us being human sacrifice candidates, Ed says, before continuing to frown down at the map. He taps the first location Fallman listed. The oldest is the Riviere incident of 1558, correct? Olivier says, that's right after the founding of Amestris. They attacked Riviere, a neighboring nation, without a formal declaration of war. Fallman looks thoughtful. Wait a sec. That means the military was involved in every one of these incidents. It was always either a coup d'etat or a civil war. Lure was no different. Normally the leader would have been killed and that would have been the end of it. But the central troops inflamed conflict instead. This has been happening since the founding of the country. In the beginning, Amestris' territory was small, but it expanded by conquering the smaller countries around it, Olivier adds. It seized just enough land to create this circle. Very efficient. So they weren't trying to accomplish their goal by using this country. They created this country from scratch in order to accomplish their goal. Everyone is upset and or annoyed by this. And then Ed now realized something that makes it even worse for them. Then Mr. Hughes was... Uh-huh. Before he was killed, he saw the transmutation circle for the Philosopher's Stone. Since he worked in the court-martial office, it must have been easy for him to research past military incidents. So he was the first to realize there's been something strange about this country since its founding. Ed clenches his fist angrily around the pencil, remembering Envy taunting them for not understanding the powers they're playing with. Damn it, those bastards. But Olivier is angry about something else. I don't like it one bit, she says, slamming the tip of her sword down on the northern part of the map. Judging from this map, the next place to see bloodshed, or rather, the only place left for bloodshed, is here in Briggs. What are those central city bastards planning to use my fortress for? Before they can consider that, a messenger from the fort comes riding up, telling Olivier that she's needed back immediately. Lieutenant General Raven from Central Command is here. She makes an irritated noise. They don't intend to give us a moment to think, eh? 
They all wonder what Raven is here for, but Ed looks thoughtful, considering something else. Major General Armstrong, I have an idea, but I'm only bringing it up because it's something that only you can pull off. Would you be willing to try and con Lieutenant General Raven? And then we cut back into the fort proper, where Miles hurries out to greet General Raven and apologize for keeping him waiting. Major General Armstrong should return shortly, he says. Raven jovially says that it's his own fault for arriving without notice, and that his visit isn't anything formal. He was just in the area and decided to visit. Oh, and he also brought a guest. Major Miles, would you be so kind as to give him a tour of the base? Kimberly steps forward, removing his hat. Hello again, Major. You mentioned that you were going to look after me. Miles does his best to hide his oh shit expression. <laughs> He's got sunglasses on, so only you can see it through the drawing. <laughs> a little later, and we see Olivia has returned and is sitting down to some tea with General Raven. She apologizes for all the commotion, explaining about the enemy attack from below that they just endured. We were able to repel the attack, but the enemy turned out to be some kind of monster. We couldn't kill it, no matter how many times we shot it down, sir. Raven keeps his cheerful expression as he says, Really? How troublesome. I suspect it might be some sort of biological weapon from Drachma, she continues. When the Elric brothers... The Elric brothers? Raven interrupts. Coincidentally, we'd taken the Fullmetal Alchemist and his younger brother into our custody. It was that same evening that this unknown monster attacked us. The brothers seemed to know something about it, but wouldn't tell us anything. The fact that a state alchemist, under the Fuhrer Office's direct control, could be a spy for Drachma is most troubling. I had to take them into custody. Would you like to interrogate them, sir? As Raven distractedly answers, we see, from another angle, that a microphone is hidden in a nearby crate. And as Olivier reaffirms that the brothers wouldn't tell them anything about the biological weapon, we follow the wire down an empty maintenance hallway to see that the brothers, Buccaneer, and Fallman are all listening in. It's all very vague and suspicious, Olivier continues. I considered torturing them under suspicion of treason, but... I am a woman, after all. It was too painful for me to even contemplate hurting a child. I couldn't bring myself to do it. Down the hall, Buccaneer laughs at the idea of that stopping her, much to Ed Mal's distress. <laughs> <laughs> While Raven laughs much more condescendingly at even the stoic northern wall of Briggs having a soft spot for children, Olivier pushes it a little further. I'm at an age now where it wouldn't be unusual to have a child or two of my own, but I suppose I've missed my chance. Nonsense, Raven says. Someone like you must have countless men fighting for your affections. Not at all, sir. You see, even though I'm still relatively young, I can feel the years taking their toll. I'm terrified of aging. But that biological weapon of Drachma's, its body was incredible. It was immortal, like something out of a dream. Raven is all too eager to chomp on that bait. <laughs> what if I were to tell you that soon that dream will become a reality, Major General? He grins. Just imagine, a completely immortal army. Meanwhile, in the mountains, May is trying to explain the concept of the dragon's pulse to Marco. You see, the Earth itself has an energy. Like a life force, the energy maintains harmony in the world. You could think of it as a river of power that flows in the ground like a pulse. By understanding the harmony of this pulse, it's possible to ride that flow and transmute something to a distant location. She demonstrates by using her long-distance alkahestry to transmute a little Xiaomei statue out of the ground a few feet away. <laughs> This power can be applied to anything, she, conc she concludes cheerfully. Marco asks if by anything she means the human body, too, and she demonstrates that by delivering a sharp poke to his back, which makes him double over. <laughs> ow, ow, ow! It felt like a bolt of electricity ran through me, all the way to the tip of my toes. May rubs his back. Mr. Marco, you should take better care of your back. Your energy flow is very stagnant. <laughs> Marco says that at his age, almost everything is falling apart. So that's the principle behind remote transmutation. Amestrian alchemy doesn't use the dragon's pulse, does it? May asks. No, it employs energy generated from the movement of tectonic plates. You know how massive amounts of energy are released during an earthquake or when a volcano erupts? It's caused by the movement of plates beneath the Earth's crust. The alchemy of this country is based on harnessing that diastrophic energy. In fact, the equations for doing that were completed over 350 years ago. According to legend, a philosopher from the East gave us these equations. But it's just a legend. May frowns. But... That's not entirely true, is it? I've had a funny feeling ever since I first came to this country, and that feeling became clear to me the other day in the tunnels beneath Central City. She puts her hand down flat against the ground. This power that flows beneath our feet isn't coming from the movement of the Earth's plates. It's from the movement of lots and lots of people. Terrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere, Hohenheim has reached the location in the middle of the mountains he was looking for. 
He stands under the stars with his shirt unbuttoned and recites a long series of names. When he reaches the end, he holds up his hands and says, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to use all of you. He then plunges his fingers into the flesh of his chest and rips them back out, spraying blood which splatters on the ground, then seems to burrow into the earth. And that's where we end chapter 67. Not suspicious at all. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it, but it's not suspicious at all. That's all I have to say about that. Not at all. <laughs> nope. Uh oh, someone's doing something they're not supposed to. <laughs> I was like, what why was are that? you saying that? You hear the, the cops? You yeah. Hear the popo? Yeah. Oh, I forgot all about Yoki at the beginning because I was thinking about Hohenheim. <laughs> <laughs> at first, when at the end of that chapter with Hohenheim, I was like, he has his own horcruxes and he named them. But now <laughs> now I'm thinking that it's something else. But It's his version of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> he had a lot of them, though. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. way more than seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely didn't count, but he had a significant amount. <laughs> mm-hmm. With much Although more creative now I'm names. Th- <laughs> right. <laughs> they sounded like demon names. You know, like... You know, um, as as a person who watches a lot of those horrible ghost hunting TV shows where they're all like, demon this name, you know? Like, one of them is like, so the names are... Sanchi, Some are just like normal names, Sura? though. Like yeah, Theodore. Tony and Willard. And... Yeah. Donatus. Rhinemile. Poswell. Gianni. Corin. Tony. Willard. Ripley. Mehitilt. Mayo. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to use all of you. Oh, those were names too. I didn't realize. <laughs> Unless he's saying uh, some kind of spell. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm saying. He's actually a. Uh, he's actually a. Uh, I don't know. Satanist. Yeah, there. <laughs> There's another word besides conjurer. Occultist. Summoner. Wizard. Yeah. Summoner. <laughs> I don't know. As a side note, I really love the last page and all its um, sound effects. First of it's all, like the sound effect of, or something? Yes, first of all, the sound effect of Hohenheim plunging his fingers into his own chest oh, is glurk. glurk. <laughs> and then it's goosh as the <laughs> blood spurts out. It does <laughs> splat, look... splat, drip, sploosh, zoop, 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 zoop. <laughs> <laughs> is zoop, zoop, zoop supposed to be like it going into the ground? I, guess so. that... <laughs> I was thinking how awesome would it be if the anime used like those Some... kind of sound effects and like it's just like you know the, like the sounds that you'd hear in like a cartoon or something you know like the zoop 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 goosh splat splat drip like a slide whistle yeah 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 that's the one <laughs> sure instead they just had some foley artist having a good time with the throwing paint around like gross or... gooshy liquids <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Hohenheim's doing that <laughs> yeah he's doing yeah. a ritual that's what I'm that's what I'm saying <laughs> Definitely doing something weird up in the mountains in a very specific <laughs> location by himself. <laughs> He's doing a ritual. He's a witch. I stand burn by him. what I said. Burn him. <laughs> what did we burn apart from witches? More witches. <laughs> it never gets old. But anyway, yeah, he was doing that. That was mysterious. I guess because of what May was saying, and, and then he lists all these names, I guess it implies that it's people that he has some kind of connection with, like which I think is really suspicious. Like, did he go bury some people out there? <laughs> Do I need to get my like, uh, like Law and Order, like, like, uh, you know, crime scene investigation brain going again, like with Roy, where I thought about it for like three days. <laughs> if he killed Maria Ross or not, and what he did. Anyway, he's doing something suspicious. Yes, that's all I'm saying. And it did look like he was literally like putting blood in the ground, which is <laughs> mysterious and sketchy, mm-hmm. considering all that we know now. Yeah, so saying their alchemy and a mistress is from the movement of, of a lot of people. Like, what the fuck is up with that? Like, <laughs> I know you can't say anything. I also, I don't know anything. I don't have any theories. I just think it's really weird and sketchy. Which I guess is what we're supposed to think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anytime someone's trying to do alchemy, they have to play, like, Red Rover or something. <laughs> they have to summon demons like Hohenheim did. <laughs> <laughs> but alchemy may confirmed alchemy history doesn't just use weird people energy it uses the actual energy of the earth and whatnot mm-hmm. it uses the actual energy of the earth unlike a mystery and alchemy which was like yeah it uses uh tectonic forces and shit yeah mm-hmm. that <laughs> which apparently it seems to be a cover-up so yeah it sounds like it makes sense <laughs> i mean yeah i get it mm-hmm. geothermal energy 
Question mark. Diastrophic energy. I've never heard that word before. (laughs) Yeah. I was prepared to say it when I wrote my notes, but I wasn't when I encountered it at the end of my sentence. <laughs> yeah. it. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, every time I, I come across that at first, I'm like, disastrous energy. Oh, nope, not Disaster. that word. Oh, diastrophism is just the process of deformation of the Earth's crust involved in folding and faulting. Oh, who knew? I bet Jane knew. Marco knew. Yeah, Marco knew. I knew when I looked that <laughs> you, up you knew. <laughs> last week. <laughs> it's like, I knew from the last time I went, what does that word mean? And looked it up yeah. and then forgot mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, that. It uses that, just like how we use geothermal energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I wrote in my notes, oh shit, he told her about it. And I was like, what is that even referring to? <laughs> it was referring to Raven. It took took me a second. Mm-hmm. I can't oh, believe the scary yeah. doctor came back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were like, hey, it's this doctor with this gold tooth. And I was like, that's not good when you read it the first time. <laughs> we looked it up at one point, and it, I, it's in chapter 53, in case anybody cares, when he shows up the first time. But he definitely looks way older. Mm-hmm. He yeah. has like suspicious liver spots and like teeth missing. It looks like he's like falling suspicious. apart. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I think it's suspicious is because he's like a quote unquote expert in like human alchemy. So I feel like he's like keeping himself alive artificially long or something like that. Mm. That's why I think it's suspicious. You're like, I just think old people are suspicious. As <laughs> 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 I was to say, normal liver spots on normal old people aren't suspicious. But it's the fact that his like the fact that his tooth is missing really bothers me. Like it freaks me out. You guys know this because you're my friends. But I don't know if everybody knows about how all my like stress dreams are my teeth falling out. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that disturbs me separately. But there's something about it that is implied to me that, or at least my takeaway is that he's sketchily keeping himself alive. But mm-hmm. there's a thing in this is a stretch, but it made me think he's about drinking it. unicorn. There's blood. a thing in um, the game Dishonored. Um, yes. where they have uh, there's a thing called shush I'm talking about Dishonored <laughs> it's important <laughs> he's like you always talk about Dishonored <laughs> um, but there's a thing in the game called like bone charms which give you like passive like bonus abilities basically mm-hmm. where it's like with, if you attach this one you can swim faster if you attach this one health regenerates you know stuff like that yes um, and there's also like I think they're called black bone charms that have like more powerful like bonuses, but they also have like a negative. So a lot of them are like you take mm-hmm. more damage from enemies, but you can do this crazy thing. Um, mm-hmm. And there's some like in universe lore document where someone's talking about how they like bought a bone charm from someone, and it like was supposed to make like swords not do any damage to them or whatever. And they're like it worked, but every time a sword would have hit me, I like lost a tooth. Like, oh no, <laughs> yeah, that's a nightmare. <laughs> I would just fight with the sword. <laughs> yeah, he decided to stop using it. <laughs> <laughs> the first time, I think, would be fine. If I lost one tooth, I think it would mm-hmm. be okay. But it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> what happens when you run out of teeth? Do you start know. losing <laughs> other things? Like he chose not to find out, so <laughs> I don't know from the universe lore. They're made of whale bone. Oh, I thought they were made of people bone. Because <laughs> whales are like magic in the universe. Whales are magic in real life. Yeah, I was like, which isn't too far off. <laughs> <laughs> they're like giant mammals that live in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anyway, this guy's lost a tooth and it's horrifying. All I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I just feel like he's like... He may be just, like, old, but I think he's there's something about it that makes him, like, sketchily old. Plus, we, he's wearing his evil glasses, you know? Mm-hmm. So, Although we know he's evil from before. <laughs> he was part of a program to, like, raise children to be the next fairer, and he injected mm-hmm. a bunch of people with Philosopher's Stone and just let them die. So it's not yeah, like he's yes. a, a good person. <laughs> yeah. He's very blasé in his casual, you know, human sacrifice. So. He was like, will you be the one? <laughs> and then they're like, oh, well, Hold this still. work either. Drag him off and change Put him the in sheets. the closet of bodies. <laughs> 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 well, Lieutenant Raven, or whatever, General Raven showed up. He came back into he the did. story. Yeah, he is just really casual with the whole <laughs> army of immortal soldiers yeah. thing. He's, but I mean, um, he probably trusts Olivia Armstrong. Because she's a lieutenant general or whatever, so yeah, he's like all the higher ups want this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you? Mm-hmm. She seemed really pissed off that they were gonna. The next focus of 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 bloodshed would be the fort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess she's in on the, you know, Ed Now's side of the plan, whatever Seems that is. To be from there, she was willing to conversation try to... and recording, not really recording, I guess, but uh, broadcasting and on everything. So their conversation so mm-hmm. and obviously i don't know playing up her 
womanly sensitivities. <laughs> <laughs> I also laughed at that. I was like, there's no way that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, I'm so sensitive. And he's like, ha ha, anyway. Yeah. And I got Buccaneers like, oh, <laughs> Buccaneers like, lol, she would totally torture kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought, too. <laughs> I like how she was also like, I don't give a rat's ass about Mustang, which was really yeah. funny. <laughs> so it seems like she was like, he's my rifle. So is she also gunning for the top? That's also mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. She's clearly had more success than Mustang, though. Yeah. Yes. Although maybe she's been at it longer. I don't know. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell how old all the, the adults are, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel like she's supposed to be like a few years older than Mustang. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess Armstrong. Alex Armstrong. Because she's... Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be Alex Armstrong's younger sister. No, older sister. Older sister. Older, okay. Yeah. She's the, um, I'm not sure if it said it explicitly, but she's the oldest. She's the uh, oldest? Of their yeah. sibling group. <laughs> we met his little sister. Yeah. And then he's got, mm-hmm. like, he's, there are, like, two other sisters that are, like, between Oh, Olivier he has all sisters? That's funny. Armstrong, Olivia and Alex, I think. <laughs> oh. So yeah. he's, like, not, they're not, like, just, like, you know, a few years apart. They're, like, pretty far apart in age, probably, mm-hmm. if there's multiple siblings between them. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they didn't mention that yet, but that's intriguing. Yeah, I think there's, like, some side story or side comic that's come up and has, like, their, <laughs> like, whole family, like, lined up or something, but... <laughs> oh, I don't remember. I mean, they, their family was in the one where mm-hmm. he was trying to hook Havoc up with his younger yeah, sister. Yeah, I think it's more of a, like, one-page, like, Omaki kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's come up in the normal volumes, since they don't have them in the Full Metal editions. Yeah, the Full Metal one. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Oh. Interesting. But anyway, yeah, so she's also gunning for the top, it seems. That's also my takeaway. One of my takeaways from this chapter. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We also saw her, um, more of her uh, leadership abilities at work in these mm-hmm. chapters. Oh, yeah, because she climbed in the tank <laughs> herself. Yeah. yeah. Just in she how she, like, ran the, the yeah, and how she, like, ran the attack against Sloth and everything. The whole scene, I found the scene mm-hmm. with Sloth really funny, because they're just kind of pushing him around. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. there's like a monster. It just like reminds me of I don't know, just like weird sci-fi movies where they're like, get the monster, and they're just kind of like shoving him in places. <laughs> and he gets outside, and he's like, I'm so lost now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really funny. There's yeah, it's like any destruction he causes is accidental. So yeah, he's like... just like, oh, this thing is my way, and he like flings a whole thing, or like he mm-hmm. threw the like some of the shells from the or or whatever the the rounds from the tank. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them landed on like a thing, like a railing. And the person, like, had to jump away because it was super heavy. Yeah. So yeah. I guess one thing's kind of interesting about him is, like, he's super strong, even though, mm-hmm. uh, like, I think even stronger than the other homunculi. I guess, like, Envy can change form and stuff, but, yeah. uh... Yeah, yeah he seems know. to, like, he's not trying and is still that, like... No. ...that strong, so... <laughs> it seems to be part of his, uh, nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. In addition to just being like, I don't want to do this, <laughs> which yeah. is also hilarious. <laughs> and kind of, like, slow or whatever, just like a grunt for mm-hmm. digging seems mm-hmm. like he's been digging and digging and digging for years <laughs> all the way around a mm-hmm. um i do like the just kind of going back to like if uh like olivia considering like roy a rival but anyway how they've got like opposing like sort of fire and ice like oh yeah aesthetics going oh, on yeah. That's like true. olivia even has the line where like before she before they do the the plan to freeze sloth where she's like i'll give him something much worse than fire mm-hmm oh <laughs> She's like, we're going to, I love how a, uh, Buccaneer picked up Ed and was just, like, carrying one of his arms, like, we're going to show you what we do in Briggs, and they, like, throw a bunch of fuel on on Sloth and throw him outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do like how they knock him down with an icicle, too. The whole, anyway, I just, the whole general, like, sort of chase of them, I mean, Sloth is just kind of like, what's going on? And then the mm-hmm. whole time, they're just, like, battering him around and, like, shoving him around, and I just thought it was pretty there's something pretty comical about it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what's going on with that thing? Oh my god, it's so scary. But then it's like, they're just pushing. It's kind of like when you have like a, you know, like a big spider. It's like, and then you catch him in like a, a cup and then you take it outside. Or like a big stupid fly or something. Like, it's kind mm-hmm. of like that. <laughs> it reminded me of that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't understand why everyone around it is panicking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> And, like, sort of annoying, moderately annoying and somewhat difficult to catch, but, like, not that difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, and in the end, they just uh, keep him, they freeze him, basically. Mm-hmm. Not to death, I guess, but just 
literally frozen, I guess, his, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's like in, like, a... Muscles and organs like, and stuff are frozen. Torpor state or something. Yeah, a hibernation. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like those frogs that can freeze and thaw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess not frozen enough, but... I don't know. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of an interesting tactic, but I like how they're like, well, we'll just keep him outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nature's free, so we'll take care of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like Olivier Armstrong's, like, like, stay there, like, you know, thaw in the spring slug or whatever it was that she said. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, anyway, that was resourceful. On a, as a really random side note, I like that Izumi. They think that everyone is a spy from Drachma, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> including Izumi. <laughs> like she took all their supplies. Oh, the boys just suddenly being like, "It was definitely her." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They really. I wonder what the situ the actual situation is with Drachma because everyone is like, "Are you a Drachma spy? Are you a Drachma spy?" Like literally, every single thing has to come from Drachma. Like, mm-hmm. there's no. It's like their their main focus. It's like they're almost like. I don't know. Like, they're very... I don't know if it's just, like, supposed to be setting it up in the story or something, but they're very narrowly focused on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, I, think, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they're, like, right on the border of Drachma, and that's, like, their whole mm-hmm. job is to, like, protect the country mm-hmm. from Drachma. So, I think they're particularly preoccupied. It seems to be kind of like a Cold War kind of thing. Yeah, maybe. it's, like, they're technically at peace, but... <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I just get the <laughs> feeling that it, they're not... I don't know. I mean, I, we haven't actually seen anything, but my take so far is, like, yeah, maybe it is kind of a Cold War thing, but they're not actually, like, doing anything. Like, all of the things that have happened so far have been, like, from Central Command or whatever, or, like, you know, through... Mm-hmm. From Amestris, right? Yeah, I think all the stuff that, like, in the plot the that we've seen. seen so far is, I don't know, about, like, yeah. <laughs> outside of that. Yeah, because I think an earlier thing talked about, like, when they were just talking about, like, the general, like, state of the country, they, they said that, like, tensions with Drachma are really high. Mm-hmm. So something that I noticed is that the um, country map, it looks like, is Briggs not, like, an official part of the country? Because it looks like it, like, kind of caves in, um, and that, I think like... Briggs is right on that border, so I think, yeah. like, with, like, the implication being that the next thing to do is, like, conquer Drachma and add that little section. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because, like, you can't see the the writing very clear at the top, but there's, like, you can see a, a bigger circle that says North City and, then like, a street that leads up to, like, the middle there that's labeled, which I assume is Briggs. Mm-hmm. This chapter was always funny because it's, like, you know, you see glimpses of the map of Amestris, and you might think, like, that's a weirdly circular country. <laughs> so it's like, yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it was on purpose. Yeah. Oh, the um the chapter that they, they translated this chapter title is, like, Burgeoning Borders. Oh. Um, but mm-hmm. what I've always seen it translated as before that is the shape of this country, which I like. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Japanese book. What is it called? Let's find out. Yeah, it's just like the, sh- yeah, the c- shape of this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, someone got a little creative with it, I guess. For the translation, they seemed but... to do that. They seemed <laughs> to do that. Same with like Girl on the Battlefield. Yeah. Wasn't it like something really long? It was yeah, like, it was like girl, girl in the midst of battles, battles past present and present. <laughs> it's like girl in the battlefield or battle girl in the battlefield. So much uh, more, <laughs> yeah, succinct. But yeah, I like the shape of this country better. Yeah. Well, yeah. So okay. So it turns out that a mistress, the only point of a mistress being like a country is to like create the circle. Like it was. What's what's sort of revealed, I guess, in this chapter is like, it's not that this country is being used to create a philosopher's stone. It's like they purposely created the whole country to like make this giant area into a philosopher's stone. Like that's what it seems like. It's the truth yep. is in the truth. Yeah. And we also find out that that's what Hughes found out when he got killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did he see the circle? How did he know about the shape of the? circle they draw it and show it to him yeah or i think when they were like um, in the hospital or something yeah when they were like uh powwowing after the incident he was like yeah. i'll go look into records at the court martial office and see if there's anything i can help you with mm-hmm. so i think they were like sharing around sketches of everything mm-hmm. like it's bad sketch of envy mm-hmm. <laughs> a palm tree shaped person mm-hmm. <laughs> it's bad sketch of envy. <laughs> yeah that's always a 
yeah, was, we've talked about how, like, there's stuff that's, like, really obvious foreshadowing when you read back through it to the point mm-hmm. where, like, as you're mm-hmm. reading it, you're like, this feels too obvious, but it's because I already know what it means. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have mm-hmm. the time. It's, like, in the scene right before, like, Hughes' death, it's, like, he and the dude are just casually talking about, like, all the military conflicts that this country has had in all these mm-hmm. different places. <laughs> and that's what makes him, like, jump to his feet and go, like, look it up. Like, mm-hmm. like when you go and read that through okay. after this reveal, you're like, oh, it's really obvious what he found out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wasn't that volume three? I have it open. Maybe it wasn't really? before three? that. Yeah, his funeral's in volume three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's in, I just opened wow. it. Yeah, it's so <laughs> early in the story. Mm-hmm. It has such oh, a big yeah, impact, too. <laughs> No. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one leaving. Yeah, here's a map. It is a weirdly circular looking country. Yeah. Except for that little part that's chopped off in the north. So I just realized something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the odds of like there being a major city or whatever in that those d- designated spots, like in all of them, it seems kind of low. I feel like they would have had to like make a city there with the intention of, oh yeah, we're gonna tear this shit down. Well, later. they're not all major cities. Yeah, Leora was like Leora is a tiny town. Um, Otherwise known as guess. Real or whatever is actually yeah. written on the map. I know it says Real on the map, but I like Leor yeah. better. So <laughs> I like mm-hmm. I like Leor better. Um, it was translated as Leor. Mm-hmm. At first, I was confused. I was like, "Isn't that the same place?" But yeah. it's like, "Oh, it must have just been translated wrong the first or whatever." You know, translated mm-hmm. not that way the first time. Yeah. Okay, wait. He's in the library. Yeah, he's like looking at maps, mm-hmm. talking to that other guy. The riots in Lior, blah, blah, blah. The East area's been full of trouble. It's not just the East, it's also the North and the West. are having their share of riots and border skirmishes. Who knows, this could be the start of a revolution. And then he stands up. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves. It's all in Civil War, riots in Lior. And hey, what do we have here? Who the hell would think of something like this? I need to tell, well, then he's like, I need to tell the Major of the Fear President about it right away, which wouldn't have gotten him very far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe he would have just been invited in on the plan. Like yeah. uh, he should have just walked into General Raven's office. Then he would have told him. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a good setup that they're constantly talking about it because Ed and Al are also talking about it, and that's the opening of the story. Like the opening of the story is in Lior, the riot in Lior. So. Mm-hmm. It's set up well, not. I mean, it's right before that, I guess. But, I mean, obviously it's not a stable situation or whatever when they leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why the homunculi are there trying to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, going to go shoot some people, mm-hmm. etc. Start things. But now, I guess Olivier Armstrong and her, her closest crew are in on the plan. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I think this also shows that uh, Hughes is very smart. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, don't talk about it. It's still too soon. <laughs> it's been like 10 volumes. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like, yeah, it's like something that matters so much, but it's so early in the story. It's mm-hmm. like right at the very beginning of the story. Yeah. Like it still like comes up fairly often because I mean, just recently we had, you know, like Roy asking the fear about it. Yeah. And then this part, like. <laughs> he was like, you can't have any more wishes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no wishing or more wishes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, I guess the only other thing to talk about is, like, Kimberly. I was just looking back at all my notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how about that? So, Kimberly, Kimberly showed up in the hospital. Miles threatened him, which was mm-hmm. I appreciated very much. Mm-hmm. But too bad that doctor came and healed him right up. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> so, that'll be interesting. Yeah. And I guess Ed, I feel knows like about, the... Ed knows about Kimberly from the war or whatever, or from all the war stories. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you saying? I'm saying I feel like Miles' face is just very much like, fuck. Yeah. I think it's interesting that everybody, we were talking once about how it seemed like a lot of people other than like the warden at the jail, like didn't seem to know about what Kimberly had done or whatever. Like they were all kind of like, oh, whatever. It's that guy. Like nobody mm-hmm. really knew, but everybody at Briggs knows him. Yeah, and Olivia Armstrong was like that guy. They let yeah, that she's guy like, out of, out of prison. <laughs> yeah, and they're like I don't know Central. She's like that's suspicious, mm-hmm. <laughs> which it is. Yeah, I appreciated that. I was like Olivia Armstrong knows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like she's the like if you always expect the worst from people, you're either proven right or <laughs> pleasantly surprised. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I mean, a convicted criminal who like blew up a bunch of like superior offers officers. I feel like that you already know what kind of person that person yeah. is. <laughs> well, I mean, about like the, the fact that like central command is involved. In... Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. Yeah, she's. I guess it still seems they seem to be pretty independent up there. They don't mm-hmm. like. They have to like now babysit not only Ed now, uh, mm-hmm. but also Kimberly. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like, would just stay the fuck away from our fort? <laughs> yeah, really. Maybe they'll make Kimberly chop down icicles, too. They're like, God damn it, the main character arrived. Now everyone's coming. <laughs> <laughs> now we gotta be involved in this shit. Miles is like, gotta find the stupid cat. Gotta find this, like, scar. <laughs> gotta babysit a known, like, murderer. <laughs> At this point, I think they'd rather Dracma spies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they could just, like, get rid of them or whatever, or uh, torture them for information. This is, like, <laughs> people they have to, like, take care of. That's, like, even worse, <laughs> I yeah. guess. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather Drachma spies. I feel like in, in Drachma, they're like, whatever, who cares? Like, who cares about Amestrians? <laughs> I don't know, maybe Drachma's over there seething, like, are you an Amestrian spy? <laughs> <laughs> Every single person that they see. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or maybe they're, like... Well, I don't know. Or they don't know anything, and they're just like, oh, look at these mountains between us and Amestris. Good thing we got those. There's mm-hmm. a lot of shit going on down there. <laughs> I just don't want to know what Hohenheim was doing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I guess we'll see, eventually. It's like, Hohenheim huh. continues to be weird. <laughs> yeah, he's still being weird. Calling his familiars. Because <laughs> he's like a witch. cats. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, I missed you, like, Theodore, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, That's where um, Al gets it from. <laughs> really? <laughs> Have you ever watched Venture Brothers? There... <laughs> yes. Yes. There's this one scene that I always remember, which is completely random. It has nothing to do with anything else in the story, but Dr. Orpheus has cats, and there's this one scene where there's a bunch of cats, and they're like... He's like, they smell my cat. They're all, like, piling on him. That's what I imagine when he said there's a bunch of cats. <laughs> oh, I just, I guess there's one other thing that I didn't say before, which was Yoki, Yoki and Scar running away and, like, Yoki complaining, which I thought was funny. Of course. Yeah. And Scar's like, you know that you're, like, an associate of mine now. And he's like, no! <laughs> <laughs> which is true. Yeah. He's just like, it's not fair. I didn't do anything wrong in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Scar's like, hold on a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, all the readers were like, mm. yeah. I guess Scar's like, okay, go get shot. <laughs> yeah, Scar's like, sure, whatever. I don't care if you leave or don't. <laughs> They're headed on foot to meet Marco and May, though. So I guess we'll see, maybe they'll be reconnected next time. Marco and May are pretty cute out in the <laughs> out in the snow doing alchemy like, research. Yeah, like how they're all like, "Hey, tell me more about alchemy," and then mm-hmm. he's like, "Tell me more about alchemy." You know, I don't know. It's kind of cute. Yeah, I feel like he likes kids from how he was like taking care oh, yeah. of the kids in his little village. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, they're both uh, sciencey people, so mm-hmm. they're all like, "Let's talk about science together." You know, they're yeah. nerds. They're nerds. <laughs> like, here, let me show you how I can poke the back make of your neck and make your eyeballs pop out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you didn't read that part in the song. No. <laughs> She's like, you really need to take care of your back. <laughs> it was really cute. Yeah. <laughs> Random G flow is bad in your back. Yeah. Let me show you how to pop out your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll see. <laughs> So they mentioned, so they said that the alchemy, the equations were created like 350 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, so then a couple hundred years after that, the first city, there was like, the Amestris was founded. Because the, didn't they say the first, like, Revere riot thing was uh, 1400 or something and we're in the year 1900? The Lior riots, like, 1914? Was I right? <laughs> I forgot yeah, all the numbers. It was like 15 something for the, the first event. Okay. Then... Yeah, so it was 15. around the same time, I guess yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. It was around the same time that Amestris was founded. They got the quote-unquote equations for how to do quote-unquote alchemy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> from the quote-unquote philosopher, from the quote-unquote <laughs> <laughs> East. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from the quote-unquote Earth's energy. I mean, who's ever heard of that? <laughs> 
<laughs> it's like magnets. How do they work? <laughs> okay, I don't have anything important to say. <laughs> what are we going to read next time? Next time, we are reading 68 and 69. Woo. Yeah. You told me something big's happening next time. No, next, next time. Oh, next, next time? <laughs> you told me something big's happening next, next I do time. like, yeah, I do like next, next time's chapters, but... <laughs> I think the big it will, stuff I, is next next time. There's something about Hohenheim I saw when I was flipping through, so I'm excited about that because mm-hmm. he's weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I want to see all his familiars that he's calling. Yes, <laughs> all his cats. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all cats in one chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. I'm excited. So like Ed still hates Hohenheim, but he bonds. But Al bonds with him over their love of cats. <laughs> <laughs> Al would bond with him anyway because Al doesn't. Al is like, he's a scientist and I want to talk to him. And Ed is like, screw yeah. that guy, no matter what he knows, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Al bonds with him because he has a different personality than Ed. Yes. <laughs> In addition to their mutual love of cats, yes. <laughs> That's how it goes in the canon. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. We will see you next time. Yes, yes we will. Bye. Good night. Oh. Good night. Have a good, have a good rest. So long. Farewell. <laughs> we'll see you later. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we end this podcast, right? Always. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> it's like, good night. Sleep well. Yeah. Have some water. Yeah. Sweet dreams. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> yeah. Bring some tank fuel. We're going to dance that thing. Dance. That's the word. It's like a dance party. Yes. <laughs> like we're going to rave him till he's too tired. <laughs> so much work. The beat is too strong. <laughs>